Now for our final wrap-up of global politics in 2020 with Dr. Stephen Hoadley, Associate Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Arts. Uh, this morning, Dr. Stephen, uh, kicking off with Ethiopia. As feared, the civil war in Ethiopia has taken a dark turn. What's the latest update? Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Alpha. Yes, things don't look good with reports coming out of the different ethnic groups turning on each other and stories of massacre, stories of arbitrary killing of the Amhara on the one side and the Tigray on the other. As well, uh, neighboring Eritrea forces have entered uh, Ethiopia, uh, complicating the issue. Now, the good news, well, at least from the point of view of Addis Ababa, is that the government of Ethiopia has entered the Tigray region, has brought it more or less under control, but the leaders of the Tigray uh, rebellion have fled into neighboring uh, Sudan and will continue the fight from there. So the issue is far from over, and the problem is that there is no media there. We need the media. We need the non-governmental organizations, the charities, uh, the World Vision, uh, the Amnesty International, the Africa Action Groups to report on what is actually happening because the Ethiopian government has cast a, uh, a, 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 a blackout over the region. So, uh, again, all we know is just fragmentary evidence and anecdotal stories from individuals. So we'll keep an eye on this, and maybe when we come back next year, uh, we'll have some better news. Uh, trouble brewing further west in Africa also. Uh, tell us more. Well, it, imagine the map of Africa, uh, and your, your listeners can go straight west and come to the Atlantic seaboard, and there you will find a place called Western Sahara. Now, Western Sahara uh, was administered by the Spanish in the colonial era, and now it's claimed by Morocco, which is immediately to the north that lies just south of Gibraltar. And the Moroccans uh, want to control Spanish Sahara because it has phosphate, very useful for, uh, for, for agricultural use, and it has fishing rights in the Atlantic. But the Western Saharan inhabitants have their own ideas. The uh, Sahrawi people have formed a sort of government in exile. They have an, a military wing called Polisario, and they have support from neighboring Algeria. Now, the fighting has flared up in the past. It hasn't started yet, but I just want to tip off your readers that maybe this will be the next trouble spot in Africa as the uh, independence groups, the, those who want an independent Western Sahara, and those in Morocco uh, who want uh, uh, to control it. Now, the complicating factor is that the United States under Donald Trump uh, has again um, intervened in the issue and essentially said to the Moroccan government, if you recognize and deal with Israel, then we will recognize your claim to Western Sahara. Well, this is a kind of superpower diplomatic intervention that, uh, again, further complicates the situation. So just, just tipping off your listeners, Brian, uh, let's keep an eye on the situation. Perhaps we'll have more to say about this in the year 2021 when we resume our conversations. Mm. And speaking of uh, President Trump, uh, recently being compared to a zombie that refuses to be put down, but now is well and truly uh, out of action with regards to the results from the Electoral College? 
Well, we hope so, but that's not quite the case. Yes, Joe Biden is the president-elect. He will become the president in uh, 38 days. But but, uh, Trump refuses, as you say, to lie down. He still has control of the Republican Party. Uh, His allies refuse to recognize Biden as the legitimate president-elect. He'll be back as the leader of a political movement. He may stand for president, or he'll be a kingmaker for the next presidential bid in four years. And he'll continue to make mischief by uh, last-minute pardons, by uh, what he's just done uh, in Morocco, for example, to uh, manipulate the situation in the Middle East and other uh, other actions. So, no, we, we, we have not heard the last of Donald Trump. Uh, to Britain now. Uh, Britain about to crash out of the European Union again. Uh, consequences, what are they likely to be, Dr. Stephen? Well, you're right, Brian, again, because uh, Britain is technically out of the European Union as of March of this year, but there was an agreement to continue for one year of trade negotiations, and that is at the issue right now. The issue is that Britain is still in the European Union. It has all the privileges of trade with the European Union, which is the largest economic entity on planet Earth. And it's a very valuable uh, entry indeed. And so uh, Boris Johnson wants to continue trading with the uh, European Union. European Union says, no, if you want to do that, you have to abide by our rules. That is European rules. No, says Boris Johnson. Uh, We have our own rules. We are sovereign Britain. Uh, And so the issues uh, that stop an agreement are fishing rights in the English Channel. uh, Even though fishing is a very small part of the economy, it has a very big emotional impact on both countries. The fishermen are very active, and uh, consequently this and other issues, such as the fact that Britain wants to reduce environmental and labor standards and undercut the much more strict European rules on good labor standards and good environmental standards and therefore get an unfair advantage in uh, in trading with the European uh, market. Well, if they refuse, if they don't get an agreement, which looks very likely, we've only got a few days left in the year, uh, Britain will uh, then leave again, uh, this time in the trading arrangement. And the predictions are that Britain will lose 1% of GDP every year for the next 10 years. That is, after 10 years, Britain's GDP uh, and um, disposable income, because of the loss of the European market and the higher tariffs and the extra uh, 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 barriers to trade across the English Channel, will be 10% poorer than it is now. Contrary to all of the bombast that uh, Boris Johnson and other Brexiteers are putting forward. So there are very real economic consequences, not only for the trade with the Europeans, but uh, the Europeans have special trade arrangements with 72 other countries. Those uh, Britain benefits from those special arrangements. They all have to be renegotiated as bilateral arrangements, say with New Zealand, for example. And so Britain has a huge administrative and diplomatic job to somehow uh, recreate these trade networks uh, that will be severed uh, once Britain leaves, in a, f- in a few days now, uh, leaves the European Union. So, again, this is something we'll be talking about, uh, the consequences of next year. And finally, to our Pacific region, managing climate change became a hot topic last week. Uh, can you tell us more and uh, your highlights? 
Well, let's start with the global level. There was a climate ambitions summit called by Britain, France, and the European Union to their credit, and they invited uh, people to talk about their targets, and virtually all the participants agreed zero uh, emissions uh, or net zero emissions by the year 2050. Well, that's a long ways away, but at least there is a target. question now is how are countries going to reach that target? Well, coming back to New Zealand, uh, the Prime Minister declared a uh, climate emergency, very good, uh, sort of moving in the right direction, but various critics have popped up. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, Jonathan Milne of, of News Desk and others, um, such as um, Mark Dalder, and have pointed out that, uh, that if New Zealand is carbon neutral by 2050, this entails only a 1% reduction of the country's emissions. Not very impressive. Uh, other, uh, Oxfam has done a study and ranks New Zealand only 21st out of 23 uh, for keeping its uh, promises. So that uh, the high, uh, high aspirations of the government, uh, which otherwise deserves huge praise for its control of the coronavirus, management of relationships with the Muslim community after the Christchurch shooting, uh, and economic recovery, uh, is uh, is under fire for this particular issue. Now, the government responds that um, this uh, is going to take on electric vehicles and better building regulations for greater conservation and so forth, and, of course, planting trees, uh, and all of that will move New Zealand closer to its target, emphasizing renewable energy such as hydropower uh, and geothermal power will also help. But uh, the, the, uh, the New Zealand's uh, declaration has attracted uh, criticism from Greta Thunberg, this uh, teenager who is now the, the sort of human face of the climate change issue. And uh, she has said that uh, uh, this is only virtue signaling. Uh, it, she wants uh, something a little bit more concrete. Frank Bonimarama, uh, Prime Minister of Fiji, uh, has emerged as the uh, Pacifica leader uh, of the movement. Uh, and says we don't want to be canaries in the coal mine, that we Pacific Islanders uh, want to uh, have a meaningful climate change policy program in place. By the way, Australia and New Zealand were not represented in the Climate Ambition Summit. Uh, they are regarded by the more progressive members as regressive, particularly Australia with its policy of burning and exporting coal, which is a very emitting uh, substance uh, energy source. So uh, there's controversy here. The government has some way to go uh, to maintain its high reputation. Let's hope that in the coming years we'll see some very concrete policy moving forward that, uh, as the Prime Minister says, also balances the need for economic recovery. That is, uh, she said, climate change is only one of many uh, things that we want to accomplish, and a good standard of living for all of us is another. Recovery from the coronavirus is another. So uh, I think we uh, will have to uh, uh, give her credit for uh, balance, and we'll have to suspend judgment, not, um, not criticize too strongly, and let's see what uh, policy brings in the coming year. Dr. Stephen Hoadley, Associate Professor of Politics and International Relations at the University of Auckland's Faculty of Arts uh, for the uh, final time in uh, 2020. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time this year, Dr. Stephen, and uh, to you and the family, a very Merry Christmas, and we'll look forward to your company in the new year. Take care and God bless. Thank you.
Thank you, Brian. I look forward to resuming our conversation next year.